holy sweet mother of God shit. Hello, hello, hello. What, what, the, what the hell are you doing? I hope no one's eating dinner. The next best thing, every Monday night from 10 until midnight on Radio Free Brooklyn. Fun for everyone except for dear Jesus. Something like that. Holy sweet mother of God, it is 10 o'clock on a Monday night, so you know what that means. Is it time for your favorite show ever? No! But it is time for the next best thing. I'm your host, Jonathan B. Lerner, keeping you company every Monday night from 10 until midnight right here on Radio Free Brooklyn. Can you hear me? One second. Testing. One, two, three. Are we on? Great. Anywho, let's do the housekeeping that we always have to take care of. Let's just get it out of the way right off the top. You can tweet at us. We are at Next Best Radio. That's at Next Best Radio. Or go ahead and like us on Facebook. Follow us on Facebook. A lot of stuff gets posted on our Facebook page, stuff that we talk about in any given episode, information, links to pertinent sites, all that stuff. Usually goes up on our Facebook page. That's facebook.com slash NBT radio. Also, if you're really feeling like you want to go all out and write it's more than 140 characters, more than something you'd feel comfortable posting on a Facebook wall. You can always feel free to send us an email. We are at nextbestthing at radiofreebrooklyn.org. And lastly, we do ask you to remember that we are fully listener and producer supported. If you like what you hear on Radio Free Brooklyn, if you like what you hear tonight, please consider going to our website, going to this show's page, and donating a little something something to keep us in business if you like what you hear tonight well a donation could ensure that you will get to hear more next week and the weeks after that uh if you feel so inclined you can go to rfb.nyc slash nbt again that's rfb.nyc slash nbt oh man that was exhausting wasn't it it was for me i'm sure it was for you too so that's all the housekeeping I can think of right now. If I've forgotten anything... Nobody cares. Nobody cares. Nobody cares. Good. I hope everyone had a great week and is prepared to give a lot of thanks. There's so much to be thankful for, isn't there? Yeah. Listen, we have a great show put together for you tonight. Griffin Leeds will be coming in to join me soon. He is a comedian, a writer, an improviser, and the co-founder of Alf Magazine. That's A-W-F. Magazine. So we'll have a lot to talk about. He comes from the great state of Indiana, home of Mike Pence and my college. So we'll uh, have a lot to talk to him about when he arrives. But until then, there's just too much to cover. So I'm going to cut the crap and let's get right to it. The world is watching. Impeachment. The 45th president. Will he go down? Will he go down to Chinatown? The world is watching. Here's what's happened in the past week in terms of impeachment news. <clears throat> Pardon me. Last week was chock full of damning testimony when it comes to the impeachment probe into Donald Dump. Over the course of about 36 or more hours, a total of nine people testified before Congress. Two of them and this is important to remember, two of them were actually called on by Republicans. They were Republican witnesses. Republicans thought that they would provide helpful information. They would exonerate the president. They would provide some cover. They didn't. They didn't help him at all. 
the Republicans, surprise, were mistaken. Not only wasn't Trump helped by any of the testimony last week, but after all was said and done, virtually every single senior official in his inner circle had been tied to a blatant, corrupt, quid pro quo. Where Trump used hundreds of millions of taxpayer dollars appropriated by Congress to solicit a bribe, get that, a bribe, from a foreign country to help him in the 2020 election. That's it. I mean, that's really all there is to it. Not only is that the major takeaway from these hearings, it's the only takeaway. Other than a few superficial things that we'll get to in a moment. But that's the key takeaway. And it's been reiterated over and over and over and over and over again over the course of hours. Mind-numbingly long testimony. Now remember, before we dive into this, before these hearings started, and really throughout all of them, the only line of defense that Trump and his cronies had, the line they kept repeating over and over and over again, was that there was no quid pro quo with Ukraine. Think about it. You probably remember hearing it a time or two. There's no uh, quid pro quo, no demand, no pressure, no threat. There's no quid pro quo. There was no quid pro quo. There is no quid pro quo. There is no quid pro quo. There was no quid pro quo. There was no quid pro quo. There was no quid pro quo. But listen to this. There is no pro quo. Yes, there is no pro quo. I guess Trump got a little tired and he decided to cut a few words out. Who can blame him? So, that was always nonsensical horseshit, but it was most certainly blown up and rendered null and void as a defense when Trump's hand-picked ambassador to the European Union, a guy named Gordon Sondland, a businessman who donated a million dollars to Trump's inaugural committee and who was an essential player in this whole Ukraine scheme, he said to the committee in no uncertain terms... Was there a quid pro quo? As I testified previously, with regard to the requested White House call and the White House meeting, the answer is yes. Uh, Well, that seemed pretty clear to me. I mean, did he waffle? No, he said the answer is yes, and he even asked the question. Now again, that was Gordon Sondland, Donald Trump's hand-picked ambassador who only had the job because he donated a million dollars and who Trump was counting on to help him out of this little pickle. Whoops. Whoopsie daisy. That backfired. Okay, so now that that's settled and we all know without a shadow of a doubt that there was a quid pro quo, what else did Sondland have to say? Plenty, folks. Plenty. For one thing, he provided a laundry list of people who were involved with this whole criminal concept, this whole criminal activity. President Trump, Vice President Pence, Secretary Perry, Ambassador Volker, Secretary Pompeo, Ambassador Bolton, Chief of Staff Mulvaney, Rudy Giuliani. Sweet mother of God! Everyone was in the loop. Really, once again, clear as can be, didn't waffle, didn't stutter. Everyone was in the loop. There you have that. So to be clear, because Sondland is clear, so I should be, we already knew all of this. We already knew all of this. But the fact that Trump's own witness, 
who was only there because the Republicans asked him to be, only served to basically seal his fate, was noteworthy, to say the least. Oh, and just for good measure, Sondland went ahead and blew up Trump's Plan B as well, his backup defense plan. You see, folks, in addition to the whole no quid pro quo nonsense, the Republicans were also instructed to say that Trump, his only ever intention was to investigate and put an end to corruption in Ukraine. Because if there's one thing Donald Trump cares about and talks about nonstop, it's the corruption in Ukraine. It's just unbelievable, and we have to take care of it. Oh, wait a minute. He's never mentioned it once in his life. Yeah. Sure, kid. Once again, no one with even a semi-functional brain was ever buying that line of bullshit. But just in case, Sondland offered up the following. Now, I will note for what it's worth, it did take quite a bit of coaxing from New York Congressman Sean Patrick Maloney to get this out of him. Who would have benefited from an investigation of the president's political opponents? I don't want to characterize who would have and who would not have. I know you don't want to, sir. That's my question. Would you, would you answer it for me? Restate your question. Who would benefit from an investigation of the president's political opponent? Well, presumably that the person who asked for the investigation. Who's that? If the president asked for the investigation, it would be he. Well, it's not a hypothetical, is it, sir? Who would benefit from an investigation of the Bidens? They're two different questions. I'm just asking you one. Who would benefit from an investigation of the Bidens? I assume President Trump would benefit. There we have it, see? Yikes! That was like pulling teeth, but we eventually got there, folks. We eventually got there. (laughs) Christ. Good job to Congressman Maloney for not giving up and not allowing him to waffle like that. Well, I think maybe, I guess, it could be, if we're talking hypothetically, it could be maybe the, all right, it was the president. Thank you and good night. The president benefited from all this horse shit. Now, excruciating as that was, we did finally get there. So once again, there you have it. That was all orchestrated. This was all orchestrated to hurt Trump's political rivals, namely Joe Biden, and to help Trump win in 2020. That's what this was about. That's what this was for. Nothing else. Nothing else at all. (laughs) And everyone knew that, but I guess we're just reiterating the obvious. And by the way, that was so far one, just one of nine witnesses who testified this past week. Like I said, it was a chock full week. It was full of chock. The day after Sondland testified, an official from the State Department named David Holmes he decided, well, he didn't decide, he was, he was told he had to, take the hot seat. Holmes was actually with Sondland in Ukraine when Sondland called Trump from a restaurant to talk about this whole scheme. Naturally, Holmes overheard the conversation because Trump is loud and obnoxious, and he recalled it in his testimony. And just so there were no loose ends, Sondland reconfirmed. Take a listen. I heard Ambassador Sondland greet the president and explain he was calling from Kyiv. I heard President Trump then clarify that Ambassador Sondland was in Ukraine. Ambassador Sondland replied, yes, he was in Ukraine, and went on to state that President Zelensky, quote, loves your ass. I then heard President Trump ask, so he's going to do the investigation. Ambassador Sondland replied that he's going to do it. He also testified that you confirmed to President Trump that you were in 
Ukraine at the time, and that President Zelensky, quote, loves your ass, unquote. Do you recall saying that? Yeah, it sounds like something I would say. Let's be honest. Nobody, and I do mean nobody, loves Donald Trump's ass. (laughs) Come on. So, almost as if he knew that this might be an important thing to remember someday, Holmes, in Ukraine, while the phone call was taking place, he took a moment right then and there to make a mental note. He made sure to remember exactly what was happening, to clarify just what this was, what he was hearing, what was taking place between Donald Trump and Sondland over the phone. I then took the opportunity to ask Ambassador Sondland for his candid impression of the president's views on Ukraine. In particular, I asked Ambassador Sondland if it was true that the president did not give a expletive about Ukraine. Ambassador Sondland agreed that the president did not give an expletive about Ukraine. I asked why not, and Ambassador Sondland stated that the president only cares about big stuff. I noted there was big stuff going on in Ukraine, like a war with Russia. And Ambassador Sondland replied that he meant big stuff that benefits the president, like the Biden investigation that Mr. Giuliani was pushing. I briefed the call in detail of the deputy chief of mission, went away for a week, come back, I referred to the call, and everyone is nodding. Of course that's what's going on. Of course the president is pressing for a Biden investigation before he'll do these things the Ukrainians want. There was nodding agreement. Everyone by that point agreed. It was obvious what the president was pressing for. Sounds pretty clear to me. So there's really no wiggle room whatsoever when it comes to what happened here and what the president was trying to do. Each and every witness seemed to agree and to confirm and reconfirm and reconfirm as much. Oh, by the way, another recurring theme that we were hearing throughout the hours and hours of testimony, that Rudy Giuliani, your friendly neighborhood troll from under the bridge, was at the center of it all. President Trump directed us to, quote, talk with Rudy. Mr. Giuliani's requests were a quid pro quo. Mr. Giuliani was expressing the desires of the President of the United States. Ambassador Bolton had looked pained, um, basically uh, indicated with body language that there was nothing much that we could do about it. And he then, in the course of that discussion, said that Rudy Giuliani was a hand grenade that was going to blow everyone up. Someone wondered aloud why Mr. Giuliani was so active in the media with respect to Ukraine. My recollection is that Ambassador Sondland stated, quote, Damn it, Rudy. Every time Rudy gets involved, he goes and Fs everything up. Yeah, that checks out. (laughs) So there you have it, folks. Add it all up, and there have been five days of hearings, 12 witnesses, and probably over 40 hours worth of testimony, and what do we know? We know there was a corrupt quid pro quo in which the President of the United States solicited a bribe from a foreign country to interfere in the 2020 election. And virtually everyone knew about it. Anyone close to Trump knew about it and was probably involved in the carrying out of it. Period. We have the testimony. We have the evidence. That's it. It is an open and shut case if I've ever seen one in my life. Each and every day of these hearings really only served to underscore the fundamental fact of the situation. Trump did what the Democrats are saying he did, period. 
The only question at this point is whether or not Republicans are going to be willing to hold him accountable for it. That's the question. The question is not, did he do it? The question is, do Republicans care? And so far, it does not seem like it. I don't think this is going to come as new information to anybody, at least not anyone who's been paying attention, but Republicans have no defense. And they know that. That's why all they've been able to do throughout these hearings is lie, bitch and moan about the process, and attack the witnesses. Attack them personally. What? 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 No! Yeah. Yeah, you heard me. So with that, and I know I'm talking fast, but I want to get through all of this before our guest comes in and we switch gears. But with that, I would like to go all the way back to last Tuesday morning when Lieutenant Colonel Alexander Vindman, a national security official who listened in on Trump's infamous July 25th call with Ukraine's president, Vladimir Zelensky, he took the stand and he testified. Now remember, this is the call where Trump pivoted from a discussion of U.S. military aid to Ukraine to asking Zelensky to do him the favor of investigating Burisma, a Ukrainian company that had Hunter Biden on the board, and pushing a conspiracy theory about Ukraine's role in the 2016 election, a debunked, crazy-ass conspiracy theory. Also testifying was Jennifer Williams, a foreign policy aide to Vice President Pence. She said she agreed that it was unusual, it was unlike any other similar call she had ever been on because it, quote, involved discussion of what appeared to be a domestic political matter, end quote. So, these were two people who didn't hear about the call. They listened in on the call. They heard it with their own ears in real time. They were there, in person testifying under oath that they thought this call was inappropriate and there was something very unseemly about it. They were concerned. One of them is a decorated career military officer. The other is a National Security Council staffer who worked for Vice President Pence. It is beyond the fucking pale to try and paint these people as Never Trumpers, as people who are out to get Donald Trump and just want to make him look as bad as possible. That is preposterous and stupid. It's much easier to believe the truth that these are two government employees who were genuinely worried about the president's behavior. That's it. But regardless, because they can do little to contest the facts, Republicans instead wasted everyone's time spewing nonsense, attacking the media, and, uh, like I said earlier, going after the witnesses themselves. Take, for instance, ranking member Devin Nunes. Now, this turd was given multiple opportunities to address the American people. He had ample time to make a case, to contest the facts, to defend the president. But he never once did that. At no point did he do anything like that. Instead, Devin Nunes 
spent all of his time addressing the American people like this. Oh, excuse me. Sorry. This is what Devin Nunes had to say anytime he got a microphone in front of him. First, they tried to manufacture evidence that the president colluded with Russia to accomplish this task. The DNC and the Clinton campaign worked with the former British spy Christopher Steele. Steele assembled a dossier of false information alleging the Trump campaign colluded with Russia. Today, we are witnessing the Ukraine hoax, the direct-to-TV sequel to the Russia collusion hoax. The plot of the Ukraine hoax is hard to follow. Yeah, tell me about it, numb nuts. Again, notice how at no point did he contest the facts. He didn't even address the facts. He's a pathetic, sad little oaf of a man. And I say that with pure love in my heart. But speaking of sad and pathetic, another Republican member of Congress, Jim Jordan. Jim Jordan was actually added to this committee not long ago specifically to be tough on witnesses, to cross-examine them, to basically discredit them. By that I mean conjure up word salad so as to attack their character, muddy the waters, and distract from what was actually being discussed. To do that, he made things up, he pulled quotes out of context, he did whatever he could to try and shame in this case, Lieutenant Colonel Vindman. He tried to embarrass him. He tried to make him feel small, to shut him up one way or the other. This plan backfired. So your boss had concerns about your judgment. Your former boss, Dr. Hill, had concerns about your judgment. Your colleagues had concerns about your judgment. And your colleagues felt that there were times when you leaked information. Any idea why they have those impressions, Colonel Vindman? Uh, yes, Representative Jordan, I guess uh, I'll start by uh, reading um, Dr. Hill's own words, as she, she attested to in my last evaluation that was dated middle of July, right before she left. Alex is a top 1% military officer and the best Army officer I've worked with in my 15 years of government service. He is brilliant, unflappable, and exercises excellent judgment. So it was I'm sorry. Okay, I'm it was sorry. exemplary during numerous visits, so forth and so on. But I think you get the idea. The date of that was um, uh, July 13th. And Colonel, uh, you never leaked information. I never did, never would. That is uh, that is preposterous that I would do that. Okay. Okay. There you have it. So Lieutenant Colonel Vinman was prepared. Go figure. He knew that they were going to try and do that to him, and he was ready. And it blew up in Jim Jordan's face. This strategy isn't new. Trump has lived by it all of his life. Attack, attack, attack. Never defend, always attack. You know who else does this? And this is not a joke. The Church of Scientology. Weirdly enough, they also do this. If somebody leaves the church, if somebody says anything they don't like, they make a hate website, they attack them viciously. That's what Donald Trump does, and that's what he's telling all of the Republicans to do, and that's what they're doing. One interesting take I recently heard about what it means, I guess you could say, or at least how to respond to these really irrational attacks, came from the one and only Anthony Scaramucci. Now, wait a second. I know, given his position and his past reverence for Donald Trump, 
He has since had a change of heart, and we have to appreciate that. Look, I'm not one of those people who thinks, look, somebody was against gay marriage back in 1998. They came out as for it in 2002, but fuck them, 1998. No. If people see the light and change their mind, I say, Yay! Thank you and welcome. So, here's my point. Regardless of what he used to do, what he used to say about Trump, the guy knows Donald Trump. He's been on the inside, maybe only for 11 days, but he did work for that administration, and he's known Donald Trump for many, many years. So, I think that he should be taken seriously when he talks about how to handle him and what certain behaviors mean. With that, he was recently asked why Trump would be dumb enough to attack a witness via Twitter while they were testifying, why he would be completely irrational and dumb enough to attack them in real time. Here's what Anthony Scaramucci had to say. Yeah, it's a combination of things. It's, it's impulse control. It's an inability to control the situation. He knows he's over his skis. He knows that that's the tip of the iceberg. The Ukraine calls yeah. are the tip of the iceberg of traitorous activity and rank criminality. And so he, he knows uh, as this thing starts to cascade on him and if people feel comfortable, if they don't get intimidated by them, if they're tweeted at by him and they actually don't care and they live their lives without fear and they think about their patriotism, yeah. uh, he knows that there's many more things that are going to come out about him. It's right. not just the Ukrainian stuff. You know, there's 193 nations in the U.N. There's no way President Trump had one or two calls like this. There's got to be 25 or 30 calls like this. So stay strong is the message. And don't be intimidated by this guy. This is America. He's just another person in America. Okay, there's nobody above the law in our system. And he's a ranked criminal. Let's call it what it is. And let's stick together as Americans so that we can move on past this guy. Call me crazy. But I think there's wisdom there. I think he's right. But more importantly, the first part of what he said, that's what really stood out to me. Once again, he knows that that's the tip of the iceberg. The Ukraine calls yeah. are the tip of the iceberg of traitorous activity and rank criminality. And so uh, he knows that there's many more things that are going to come out about him. Yeah. And I mean, this, this really shouldn't come as a surprise. It's not surprising. I mean, we know he's committed all sorts of crimes, uh, tax evasion, money laundering, moving and funneling money around. That was all actually reported on. That's not even speculation. But there is so much teeming at the seams here, you know, just kind of building up, building up, and the dam is about to give way. I do believe that. However, it all comes back to the ongoing question. It's not a matter of did he do criminal acts did he commit wrongdoings? The question is, will Republicans find their balls and confront him and say, look, you fat, bloated piece of shit, you gotta go. I'm stunned by their weird loyalty to this nincompoop. I mean, really. It is incomprehensible. And I I mean, I would say that they'll look back and be embarrassed, but so far, I'm starting to think they don't have the ability to be embarrassed. There is so much that has happened in the past three years that I almost feel embarrassed for them. 
and I hate them. No, I don't hate anybody. I don't hate anybody. In fact, my heart is so full of love that I can barely breathe. You fat fuck. Anywho, so that's kind of where we are now. And that is the news of the day. Okay, you're listening to The Next Best Thing on Radio Free Brooklyn. We are going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we will welcome in our guest, Griffin Leeds, comedian, writer, co-founder, and executive editor of AWF Magazine, AWF Magazine. You're listening to The Next Best Thing. And that's all. And okay, we'll be back. Radio Free Brooklyn is a 501c3 nonprofit organization whose mission is to provide a free and open platform to our community and promote media literacy, education, and free expression. We rely primarily on donations from listeners like you. So if you'd like to support our mission so we can continue to bring you quality community radio, we invite you to make a one-time donation or monthly pledge at RadioFreeBrooklyn.org slash donate. You can donate as little as a dollar and every cent helps helps us to continue to stay on the air. So please, please help support independent community media by pledging whatever you can afford. And remember, RFB is a 501c3 nonprofit, so your contribution is tax deductible to the fullest extent of the law. Again, that's RadioFreeBrooklyn.org slash donate. This is the next best thing. Okay, so my guest tonight hails from Zionsville, Indiana, originally. We met in the spring in the late winter, early spring of 2017 in an improv class at the Upright Citizens Brigade. That particular class does stand out to me, and it always has, because it was the first class, it was the first time I remember feeling on the first day like, oh God, I'm really going to have to up my game here. There was a handful of people in that class that were really good. Chief among them was my guest, Griffin Leeds. He, um, improviser, comic, writer, and the editor and co-founder of Alf Magazine, AWF. Alf, Alf. We should pronounce it like that uh, because part of the fun of that name was like the sort of like homophone ah. quality. Um, it so to put it briefly, like the the name is um, a play on like O F F off. Ah. Um, but it's it's it is uh, for those who don't know who are listening. It is um, as far as we know the first and only LGBTQ oriented satire website. Okay, um, so it's like a and it, and Onion, so, similar to Onion, but like uh, covering like specifically like like written by and for like LGBTQ people. Gotcha. And so uh, AWF is partially like a like Twitter parlance for like like yes go off or whatever. Oh, okay. um, and so that's why people spell <laughs> it like that. that to add that sort of like affectation to it. And that was part of we did we spent a lot of time figuring out the name and we loved that name partially because of like the AWF like go off. Yeah. Um, but also AWF feels like an abbreviation for awful. Off is in like, you know, like oh, there's something slightly off about that person. <laughs> Which um, I think of that often. Yeah. And then uh, even just how things like uh, we, we also liked how it is a short three lettered uh, o preposition, which is a fun nod to like out magazine, uh, which right. is obviously like one of the main sort of like sources were sort of, uh, Making parallels. Yeah, so. definitely. And you, that started in August of this year. It was, no, uh, it was. Swing and a miss. No, no, you're good. <laughs> well, it's, it's been like, cause like different like kind of like milestones for it, I guess. The very first like beginning, beginning process, uh, the process of like me and my friend and co-founder Ryan Leach of, of kind of kicking off, um, and we had met through like a workshop originally, actually, oh, like okay. a like an improv um, audition workshop type thing. I remember, at, I don't know if this was during or towards the end of our class, but I remember you saying, 
that your like dream scenario at that point, mm. this was two plus years ago. Yeah. yeah. Was this to, feels like, uh, you know, like right now that like, very popular meme is that like that decade challenge thing. This is not a decade challenge, but I'm well, curious this, like, I, if you've like time capsuled what no. I, I'm so curious to see like if what you're about to say, <laughs> how it compares to where I am now. It'll probably be the same thing. I hate those. By the, I, well, I, I don't hate that challenge, but I did it. I did it a year ago. Yeah. yeah the, I so don't understand. It's a kicker for me because um, I wasn't allowed to be on Facebook uh, <laughs> until like literally like my Facebook stuff starts just like I, I will be able to do this, this decade challenge next year, essentially. Well, um, good for her. Yeah. Boundaries. Yeah, exactly. But you said that you, your dream scenario at that, not dream, I don't even remember. <laughs> but you said that you would like to eventually teach improv at UCB. Okay, yeah. So this is Can fun. you believe it? I this mean, is, no, this is a fun decade challenge. Uh, this is two years ago. Yeah, yeah. I, I, it's a, 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 a decade <laughs> challenge. Yeah, what what a, is it for? It's two years. Yeah. yeah annual. A, a decade challenge. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, I would say things I am interested in doing have, shift a little bit since then. Yeah. I think even at that point, obviously it wasn't like, I want to do this and only this for the rest sure. of like my dying days. Right, 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 right. Um, I think it, you just meant you was like, cause honestly there aren't a whole lot of ways to get paid doing improv. That's one of them. Correct. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I do stand by, I enjoy, I've like gotten to coach a few teams here and there. I got to go back actually to Indiana university oh, yeah. um, where we both went right. uh, to school or I kind of first got involved doing improv. I had gone back, all of last year and got to teach a workshop because I was going to be doing stand-up at the Comedy Attic there in Bloomington, right. like uh, around that time. So like while right. I was in town, I was like, oh, hey, I was also I, at that point, no one in that group was anyone I had overlapped with while I was there. Like enough time had passed that mm -hmm. I didn't ever overlap with Isn't people there. Isn't it crazy there. how quickly that happens? Yeah. Like, uh, well, maybe I well, just feel it's, like- well, It's also it's wild quick. because, well, but think about it as well that unless you do something like grad school, after college, like everything else like prior to college is very much like, oh, you do this for this many years. You do this for, like, yeah. you, then you do high school for four years and you go to college for four years. So you have this, these like sort of like right. contained, Windows like, like, yeah, like, like these like discrete contained like blocks of time uh, for which things happen. And then, then you're just like, like set adrift temporally well, into yeah. the world. And you're like, wait, how much time's passing? What? Too much. Um, yeah. I mean, time goes and that's really why fast. That's why midlife, I think if, you know, we did something similar to like uh, four year increments for things. That'd be uh, good. Fewer midlife crises would happen. I am <laughs> I setting, <laughs> well, I try and set deadlines for myself, but then they come and go and I'm like, well, push it back. <laughs> yeah, fair. <laughs> but uh, I guess I have to push back my dreams of becoming a improv teacher, teacher at UCBA. <laughs> well, yeah. that's achievable. Those are good dreams. There you, you go. get to do that. So I would say that there's things that are still true about that in terms of. Well, since then you've done a whole lot. Oh yeah. Jumping back just to, to, to tie that yeah. up is that, so it was, um, let's see, this is 2019. So it was around June of, it was like March-ish of 2018 that me and Ryan first, like we both, we both realized we both independently wanted to start a, a queer satire platform. Mm -hmm. And then we're like, let's do it together. Um, and then it was in June that we first opened, like announced this thing and like put out like a call for submissions and applications or whatever into the ether. And then um, over that summer period, we went through the process, like reviewing people's submissions and deciding who would be like a contributor versus a staff writer. Um, and then our very first meeting with our staff writers was in, uh, I think August or maybe early September of 2018. And then we just did like a lot of writing, especially working with the staff writing team and then getting the contributors involved a little bit later. Uh, and then we officially launched, like we're like live stuff for people to, le to read online, uh, March, late March of 2019 this year. Wow, so you did, you took like, a half a year to really kind of prep before actually going live? 
Yeah. For, like the, from our first like meeting with staff writers, um, it was about like a six month period of then like writing and figuring out like, right. um, like editorial process yeah. and like letting all that stuff, like, like the logistical stuff evolved so much from the beginning, of course, because we like fine tuned things. Yeah. And then uh, just so much writing and like, I was just figuring out like what our voice was like, what would, what do we consider satire? What do we consider interesting? Like, satire is hard. Yeah. I it mean, is. yeah, it's also, and it's like very subjective because there's definitely times that we'll have meetings where someone will be like, okay, so it's like the satire of this, like someone's, you know, pitches a headline. We're like, all right, what's the satire? And someone says like, oh, I think it's, it, it's a chance to comment on this. And someone maybe said, oh, I thought it was this. And someone might say like, I don't think this is satirical. It seems too grounded, especially too nowadays. Real. Some things are so, yeah. I mean, like, and this is like, I'm not the first person to have this conversation about like writing comedy during these times, but there are definitely times that you can say something that would sound satirical five years ago yeah exactly yeah um, which is partially like one of my impulses and it's also because i'm just like a raging nerd mm -hmm. uh a lot of times my impulse with a piece would be like if something feels too grounded then how can we heighten it to like a very like science fiction or fantasy sort of place right. um yeah i mean yeah there's stuff that i mean I, you could pull anything any day from yeah. the news and it Five years ago would have been like, it yeah. almost would have been out, too outlandish. Yeah. So in some ways, like things like, yeah, like insane supernatural phenomena or things that are beyond the current like realm of science are the only things that are like fair game right. or will not be mistaken for <laughs> real life or, or won't feel like too real or what have you. Do you miss the Colbert Report? I asked that because just to be clear, because that was really the most blatant living example of satire absolutely yeah and i think um obviously a, a huge uh cornerstone yeah. and just like the sort of progression from i mean you know you had satire back from like the time of like sure, sure. either oh, in sure. ancient greece and, yeah. and shakespeare Walter and Mitty. then not what uh, uh what's dylan thomas who did the like i'll eat my uh jonathan swift yes um a, a modest proposal Walter yeah, yeah, Whatever, um, and, you know, writer. <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, yeah. You had your, you had your Jonathan Swift, and you had your Oscar Wilde, and all, sure. all this stuff. Um, and you know, Colbert is part of that, which yeah. is really cool. Um, Mark Twain in between. There's other people in between. Um, yeah, but yeah. yeah, Stephen Colbert is a huge part of that shift. So he, I actually didn't consume a lot of Colbert during his heyday uh, because we grew up in a household that did not have cable television, um, and so that's where he was doing his thing. I think this is an advantage for you. I mean, because we're nowadays, I was thinking about the other day, like my baby nephews, like are growing up, they are babies and they will never have known a world without smartphones. That's oh, yeah, crazy yeah, yeah. to me. I think that like um, our generation is mm -hmm. especially unique because there's our parents and they spent a lot of their life without technology. Most. And then suddenly there was, or I mean, sorry, technology is an yeah. insane word to but use. Smart, That's so unhelpful. Smart, but, smart technology. Uh, Sure, but even that feels like so time relative. The <laughs> internet, that I think, yeah. so in my opinion, I think there have been two things that have created like massive ripple effects that have completely changed like the face of humanity. Mm -hmm. um, the intranet? And so there's the the internet. <laughs> um, and then before that, the invention of the of the um, printing press from Gutenberg. Sure. And they both obviously- so What about I, the light bulb? I say not as impactful. And the reason why <laughs> oh, is yeah. because at the end of the day, the, the, the printing press- was this huge thing that revolutionized the access to information. And it was following the printing press that we had uh, the developing of the development of like modern democracy. Um, revolution started happening. Uh, just the complete erasure of uh, feudalism mm -hmm. was something that was coming along because some people who weren't literate were able to become literate because they had access to uh, affordable to printing materials yeah. and so on. But that's kind of like, because I remember, okay, when I was like a sophomore in high school, mm -hmm. I remember... I had an audition. There was an audition in Lawrence, Kansas, which was about, it would be like having an audition in Indianapolis from Bloomington. 
Okay. Or in Bloomington from Indianapolis. Sure. Whatever. (laughs) I think the distance is the same regardless. Well, yeah. 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 And my mom, my mom wrote out directions for me Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. I followed them. Yeah. And there was something to that. There was something to like, I mean, that's as basic to me. It's like reading directions. That was a pre-internet thing. Exactly. Yeah. And like, you know, the idea of now writing out step-by-step directions on how to get from point A to point B seems archaic. And that was not, that was like 12 years ago. Yeah. And so it's kind of like now if someone's phone dies, they're like, well, I'm stuck. Yeah. I'm not going anywhere. Yeah. Which is too bad. But okay. So, but no. So yeah, I think props to your parents for limiting your access. Was that the point or was it just because they thought it was corrupt or what? Um, Not corrupt. (laughs) Yeah. They knew ahead of time. Um, (laughs) No, I think. They just didn't want you to rot your brain. Yeah. I think it came from like a balance that like we, we, we grew up without cable our, we didn't have like any like plug in the TV video games. We had handhelds, especially for like once we were at the age we're like kind of like traveling. Are you the more. oldest child? I have an older sister and then two younger brothers. So I'm, oh, the, okay. I'm the, if we were in feudal times, uh, I'd be the heir. Um, okay. But <laughs> we did away know. with that, unfortunately. Tell your brothers, make which, sure they know. Yeah, which is fine because I'm not producing any any offspring anytime soon. Yeah. So I'd be a bad choice for an heir for well, a, whatever. a aristoc- aristocratic <laughs> society anyhow. And what do your siblings do? My eldest sister is a therapist. Nice. Um, and then... Um, my, my youngest brother, um, he's still in school. He's, um, studying, I believe, microbiology or virology. Something Ed, in that let vein. me guess. Not Purdue. He is at Purdue. Oh, it is Purdue. Is. And then the other brother directly below me, my brother, Max, he went to Purdue for, uh, like engineering. So, okay. So you are, grew up in Zionsville. Mm-hmm. I claim, I was born on the east side of Indianapolis. Um, like kind of like on the edge of like Indianapolis in the suburbs, I guess. You went to Zionsville. Zionsville High School. Yeah. But when I was at IU, one thing, it's a huge school, great school, lots of people. And it's a great, <laughs> well, I was going to say it's a great, like diverse school. For, for Indiana, it's yeah. incredibly diverse. Like Indiana is almost all white people for one, but also like even then the diversity is like you're either Irish or German and there's very little like be- beyond that. I mean, I found there was more Jewish people than I thought there would be. Especially at IU, um, there's like a pretty large Jewish population there for Indiana. And yeah. I mean, I would say that's true of Indiana University in general is it is for Indiana very diverse. But then once you go to say like New York or like Chicago, oh, sh- oh, it becomes yeah. a lot more diverse. Sure, sure. Um, but I found, I was surprised. There were, there were certain things about IU that Surprised me. For mm-hmm. example, because of how big the general student population was, mm-hmm. I thought IU would be teeming with things like acapella groups, improv groups, various student-run theater groups. Yeah, yeah. It, when I got there, it wasn't. Yeah, and when, if you don't mind me asking, when did you graduate from IU again? Two thousand eleven. Two thousand eleven. Yeah. So that's funny because that's right when you were right, that's, and we did talk about this before. Yeah. Yeah. So that's right when I came in, and honestly, especially by the time I left, there was a lot more. All of those things you're saying, they definitely well, changed. Fuck. Like they, yeah, I know. Uh, go back in time. Oh. Uh, but right. no, but it actually but, did give me a chance to, because one thing that, so I was a music student and they do like eight fully staged operas a year. Mm-hmm. But opera is not. Huge productions, but huge. they're not accessible. Yeah, they're great. The operas are great, but they, in terms of casting, it's mostly grad students. Mm-hmm. And it's just, it's just not, first of all, it's not, not for everybody. Everyone, well, not yeah. everyone can do it. That's like saying, you know, if the one sports team that was offered was uh, rowing. Then maybe Michael Jordan, where you're like, well, what the fuck? What am I going to do here? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, so it was like, so I had the opportunity through Union Board and whatnot to actually start an organization that was then able to apply for money and produce shows. And that. So similar to the opera program, there's only, there was like three or four mm-hmm. um, for the theater department things going on. And 
so many students involved, in the, like students in the theater program, yeah. but then they, so many did not get any chance to perform in, well, in things or if they did their like teeny tiny parts. thousands of kids who weren't majoring in theater who yeah. were talented and but, might want to, you know, be in some stuff. Right, exactly. Which I think should be allowed. Which, Grant, that actually was like a big part of how I got involved with um, comedy and improv on campus. Well, when I was at IU, the one main improv, there was Straight No Chaser, that was the main acapella group. Correct. There was Ladies First, which is the female acapella Correct. group. Correct. The, the improv group was a group called Full Frontal. Full Frontal. Yeah. Now you were in- Midnight Snack. Did you- that one, see, I, that one didn't exist. No, that one was probably, or it was probably just starting as probably. we were leaving, basically. If you were finishing in 2011, I was yeah. starting in 2011. So you didn't so, create it? No, it had okay. just um, been created. And it was, and also while you were at I or at IU, they probably would have had Awkward Silence oh, yeah, yeah. as well. Yeah. And then maybe a group called Who's On First would have been very brand new around that time. It was, yeah. Like very, I remember very seeing posters for it, but we didn't, it was like, you know, like, because it was so this? new. Yeah, 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 it had to find its place. Exactly. But that's good. Um, I mean, I'm, that's, yeah. Uh, it's cool that, you know, most universities have maybe like one sketch comedy group and one improv group. If that, um, do they though? See that? See, I think they, a lot of universities have at least one or two. And that's yeah, like but Northwestern. Cause that's where my, my sister's two years yeah, older but than Northwestern's me. in Chicago, which is like the cradle of that's comedy it. and improv and everything. See, that's it. Yeah. If you're comparing that's to it. that, that's like a, that's like a, well, that's a here, like a representativeness here. But I don't know though, because KU is in Kansas and they have a lot. <laughs> of, of what? <laughs> of, of like of a improv and student comedy scene in general. They have like, yeah, I mean, like I don't know if I would say a lot, but I just remember like going to visit my siblings who went there. Mm -hmm. There were a lot of options. Now I don't know how good they were. I was like in yeah, elementary yeah. school, but like there was just I remember seeing a lot of like various ways to get involved in whatever. And I remember when like, I got to like I, improv or comedy yeah, generally. Yeah, okay, cool. like I would see a bulletin board and it'd be like audition for this or you know go see that and blah blah. And I remember when I got to IU, I just expected, oh, you didn't make Straight No Chaser? Okay, well, which what else can you audition for? Yeah. Nah. But I think like, well, you were nailed it with the city thing. Because I've thought about for, that. For, at least for, for I, I don't know about, you said can what was the other? KU, Kansas. KU, yeah. But but I mean, it, nothing for, compared for Northwestern, to Northwestern. Yeah. Definitely, I think that's a big part of yeah. it. Is that like, yeah. Those groups at Northwestern were like really good. Yeah, that's what I've but, heard. Um, yeah. So for IU, there, at least as far as I know, by the time I graduated, there were... So I was in a group, Midnight Snack, which was mostly improv. We did, our, our show format would be, we would do a scripted to semi-scripted to sketch prov, cold open, usually at the start of the show. And you did weekly shows? We did. We did it more like every other week. That's generally. Good. Yeah. And we, yeah, we did like a, a, some sort of like cold open sketch type thing. Mm -hmm. um, we would rotate. Someone would be the host of the show. So we do like a little bit of like kind of like. They're like like a monologue-y, stand-up-y type thing up top just to sort of like, in, like kick things off. And mm -hmm. then we would go into, and they'd be the ones responsible for explaining all the short form games was the key oh. reason why we had a host. Um, and so we would do 20 to 30 minutes of like uh, a couple of different short form games. Um, then we would maybe have a full stand-up spot or another uh, sketch spot. Uh, oftentimes we have um, like people outside like involved in like the like comedy attic um, sort of comedy scene or student comedy scene do stand-up. Um, you majored in communications and, uh, culture, yes. media studies and creative writing. Yep. Nice. And so, so that's probably, so when it comes to the magazine, you have a journalism education. Yes. And I, and I, so it's funny, like I majored in journalism without majoring in journalism, essentially. Right. Like, uh, well, you I, worked for the daily student, didn't you? Uh, I worked for the Indian daily student, the IDS. Um, I worked as an editor for their pop culture section. Nice. I was, I, I guess I first started out, um, being like an illustrator for their opinion section, like, oh, nice. like, uh, like editorial cartoons and things yeah, like yeah. that. Um, and then got more involved, um, over the summer staff, I was an editor of their pop culture section, which was fun. Cause I got to juggle. I, I, I've, 
wearing lots of hats is a yeah. thing that is a, definitely a common thread for me. So I was the editor of that section. So I was in charge of like what we were writing and during the summer, like the staffing's pretty short. So you're not just being like, you're writing a lot of this stuff uh, yeah. and doing like a, a lot of the work, but I also uh, was doing like the page design and figuring like, so it was like fun to being like wearing like the editor, uh, the editorial hat of like what I want the thing to be about, but then to wear my designer hat, be like, okay, how can I best render this right. like editorial thing? Yeah. Um, which was fun. And I, I learned a lot and I definitely have always had this sort of like love for scrappy, creative type things. Right. Uh, and then I got more involved as a columnist for the opinion section in the, that following year, which was my senior year and was still like drawing editorial cartoons for them. And then the following summer was opinion was editor for the opinion section and also was doing like page design stuff for them at that point. So do you, do you find that like when you're writing like a stand up set, mm -hmm. for example, do you use any, like, do you use current events or is it more just personal observations? Yeah. Um, I think in general, my standup is pretty observational. Uh, I think uh, my standup is like a testament to how you can have uh, borderline debilitating ADD and learn how to like channel it and make it productive. Yeah, and that's good. Uh, Without I'm, drugs. Yeah. I, I, yeah, I tried the whole medication thing and it, uh, I have um, undiagnosed, but like the symptoms are there. Um, trichotillomania, which is like, uh, it's sort of like, that's not the hair thing, is it? It is the hair thing okay. of like the impulse to like pull out hair. Yeah, right, um, right. for me, it's like mostly facial, like, um, when I was younger, especially like eyelashes, eyebrows, mm -hmm. sometimes nose hairs as well. Sometimes facial hair, once it's starting facial hair. Um, yeah. it's, if there's ever anything in my eye, I pull out eyelashes. Yeah. Yeah. Is that weird? Mm, yeah. I mean, maybe potentially <laughs> if it's like something in your eye, but like, I think it's also like an impulse, like there's something in your eye that that's like, oh, what you're going to do. Sure. Um, but totally basically normal. I started taking ADD medication. For and that? No, no. I, oh. I started taking ADD medication for ADD, gotcha. but it made the trichotillomania way worse. Oh, like, wow. uh, And it wasn't even until years later after I had stopped taking, I'd taken it um, from like my sophomore year of high school until around my sophomore year of college, actually. Gotcha. And I kind of was like, I decided that it just, I didn't, I one wasn't great about taking it like the same time every day, which is important. I didn't like how it suppresses your appetite. It made me, I had, I was like a pretty like, for lack of a better word, like I was like really bitchy on ADD medication. <laughs> really? Uh, I would just like well, say things like yeah. I would normally not say to people. I was like very impatient. Um, made me very moody. Um, Ritalin is like so intense. Mm -hmm. And yeah, it would make me very like, yeah, moody exactly. And I just like didn't like the person I was on it. Mm -hmm. And it really suppressed my appetite. It just, like, it just did not work for like the lifestyle I wanted to have and the person I wanted to be. Uh, so Good I stopped you, taking it. I think for me it also came from a place of there came a big shifting point, especially I got more involved with comedy on yeah. campus. I was like, you know, I think I really want to pursue this as a profession. And I, well, you know, like comedians, they don't do any drugs. No, never. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> They're known for being totally it's, clean. It's, honestly, it's so funny that like, uh, I think like there is like that reputation. I think especially things like, you know, Chris Farley and yeah, like exactly. lots of other comedians and stuff. Like it's very known about like their, well, their substance habits extreme, and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. But you say extreme, but like that's also the habits of like, of comedians to this yeah, day yeah. um but well, also SNL especially because they're up all night writing and rewriting and blah blah, blah. yeah i don't I, know if it's as bad as it was but i think it's i think that they're much i think especially after not opposite from how we've learned that football causes concussions they're like ah nothing to be done about it uh whereas yeah. i think if uh you know a place like snl was like oh like we are contributing to people like you know uh overdosing and things like that or yeah. having like uh really bad drug problems then they i think that's a look they don't want to have yeah. uh, i think that lauren doesn't want that to be like their <laughs> reputation so is I'm that sure something after, you would like to do 
Is yeah, it like a dream? Um, Speaking of, yeah, uh, so you're asked about like, um, you know, like how like journalism affects like joke writing and stuff. Mm-hmm. For me, uh, my stand up, I would say, is is much more observational or like my, and maybe it's like still like a way of using an observation to like have a take on something societally. Mm-hmm. But I, especially more recent years, have gotten more into. Uh, like I host a monthly show in my apartment. I've been going right. for like the past like two the plus living years your best now. life show, the living your best life room nice. show. It's one of my, so yeah, I would say off magazine and the living your best life room are my babies. Nice. Uh, I love them. I've like, put and they much probably take into, a like, lot of time. I mean like, cause they're so yeah, ongoing. It's, I, once you have one, you could plan the next one. Yeah. I, yeah. I, again, like I do enjoy like being scrappy and wearing lots of hats and making sure. a thing, like bringing a thing into fruition and then maintaining it is something I have like, really realized it's like a very much a common thread in my life. Yeah. Um, it's like, I, I, I love comedy because it is so challenging, mm-hmm. but in like a, for me, like a very engaging, interesting way. Yeah. Um, like it's, it's, so it's, it's challenging, but in a way that's very fun for me. Especially with stand up. There's no, it's never like you get to a point and you've done it. There's always more to yeah, do. Yeah. There's, there's always, always more yeah. material to come up with and right. things like that. And, um, in more recent years, I've gotten more involved with like sketch writing or, um, you know, I, I do more writing on like current event type stuff now mm-hmm. um, with uh, at my living room show. I uh, now do kind of like a almost like a sort of like late night TV style, like monologue oh, cool. current events type thing. Or, or like, I mean, kind of in a similar vein to, you know, Weekend Update or like yeah, a monologue yeah. you'd see on like Jimmy Fallon or Seth Meyers or, you know, Conan and that kind of thing. Sure. Do you avoid, do you, it, is there any topic you kind of avoid? Like um, politics? No, like, I mean, like politics comes, How could has you avoid, come up. Yeah, yeah. Nowadays. It's well, and, and the thing is, like, so like part of the like cutesiness of the segment is because it uh, obviously like the show is in my living room. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm very like blessed to have like a large living room that can host yeah. people. And a big part of why that even happened was because I had moved to New York, um, was doing a lot of stand up in the Indianapolis and some of the mm-hmm. Bloomington scene. No, also Bloomington scenes where I like, also started out for sure. Um, and wanted to keep doing that um, in New York, but I mostly was just doing improv and had all this, like, I don't want to start from scratch at, like, open mics. Because, right. like, I don't know. Like, I have, like, material that's good that doesn't need to be brought to an open mic. I yeah. just want to be able to do this stuff and see how it works in New York, right. for one. Um, but also, at that point, I was, like, seeing other people who I thought were cool and wanted to give a space to perform. And I had this massive living room that, like, is very typical for a person living in Brooklyn. And So you made use of it. And so it's, like, I'm very lucky to have this thing. I'd be dumb to just, like not take advantage of this thing, especially when it comes to, you know, other people I see would have to struggle with like working with like a bar venue or things like that for putting their shows or like, you know, that the high, high uh, barrier of access to, you know, places like UCB or comedy clubs and things like that. So Mm -hmm. to be able to have this thing literally right under my nose that I can use Mm -hmm. uh, was very cool. And obviously, you know, I did not invent the house show. They've been around for a while. There's lots of them around Brooklyn, but I do pride myself of having like one of the, um, ongoing. What? Yeah. I would Is say, it a month? I, it's monthly. It's every month. And yeah, I have a lot of pride in, in like wanting something to happen and then be like, well, it's not going to happen until you make it happen. That's well, uh, or it's not going to happen yeah. unless you make it happen. Yeah. A lot of and times. so for me, it was like, Oh, I want to like, I would love to start a show, but I don't really have this like a, a, a bar connection or something like that. It's like, mm-hmm. well, you have this living room. What if you just like do that and, and that's see better. what happens? I yeah. Mean, like, in a way that's better. Cause you don't have to, I mean, there's no yeah, coordinating and like, yeah, it cuts out like a lot. Like there's like some things I have to, because I'm also the venue, but there's right. also a lot of things I don't have to deal with. And you get well. to control as opposed to like the amount of creative seed. control is great. Yeah. yeah that's um, awesome. Like, and like, that's like giving me the freedom to like let it evolve in certain ways. Cause I didn't always do, um, like that monologue stuff. The reason why I started doing was because this past like winter, spring, I submitted to NBC's um, oh, yeah. late night writers, like workshop diversity nice. program, uh, knowing that like 
I probably wasn't gonna get in, but I spent a lot of time, especially on those monologue jokes. Um, monologue jokes and satire headlines are really similar in a lot of ways because you're trying to economically and clearly get a funny idea yeah. across that's also gonna be gonna have some sort of like topical current event type of yeah. you know thread through it. That's awesome. Um and so I put a lot of time into those monologue jokes. I was really happy with the final product of it. And it was one of those things I was like, like, yes, I have a, a, a background in improv and can be relatively comfortable with like, you know, setting something off into the ether. I was like, oh, these are really good. I, I, <laughs> I, I really won't know how good they are unless I like actually perform them. Yeah. And I was like, I, Griffin, you have your own show. I could just do them at this. So I, um, I've now started doing the segment where I do a few monologue type jokes. It forces me to write these type jokes and keep that like muscle there uh, in that segment um, because not intentionally, but my living room has a lot of like elephants as like decorative elephants. Oh, yeah? Uh, like actual elephants. Yeah. Uh, I mean, not actual living, breathing pachyderms, no, right. but. Uh, uh, <laughs> but it's not um, just like. The, the living room's big, but not that big. Well, yeah. Uh, but you mean like art elephant, not like. Yeah, yeah. Like, uh, <laughs> like, like, like sculptures. I have like a large like porcelain elephant. And so I have a segment that I always open with. I say like, all right, there's some things like that have happened since our last show that we got to talk about. And so the segment's called The Elephants in the Room. Nice. Um, and so. Topically, um, I like to have a blend of things. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there definitely are months where like, oh, like nothing, like that. Sure. We're like, oh god, anything great happened this week? Uh, but you gotta find, yeah. But I you mean, gotta find the yeah. thing. Um, and I think that's a cool. And, and finding like the blend as well, because like it, it's, I think you can talk about whatever you want to talk about. Um, you just have to figure out how to do it. Yeah. To, like you know, right. like, like um, they always say like you know, art is what you get away with, kind yeah. of thing. And right, right, right. um, so you know, like there are definitely like things that aren't like fun topics mm-hmm. necessarily, well, but it's like, it's like, Oh, is there like an angle we can use? Or like, can we talk about this and make like a, a joke that captures like why we don't like this thing or, or something like yeah, that, yeah. that like that still speaks to some sort of truth about this thing. But also let's do that with other kind of material in general. Right. And then like, everyone's going to be okay. Like, yeah. you know, it I is- think if, you, if I did, you know, uh, 15 minutes talking just about something like heavier in society or whatever, then like, no, that's not gonna be a fun time, but it's just part of like, yeah, out, like what works as a show and exactly. having like good like editorial taste. Do you like, do you make any money? I mean, like, do you like, char- is it all free for pe- performers, free for yeah, yeah. or what? So a big part of that show, like there's just like a lot about that show that I am really proud of. Um, one is that I have never had a straight white male person do stand up on it. Okay. Um, a couple have stuck in for improv and character. Um, <laughs> type, and is that something you've, you've done? It's an active choice. Um, yes. uh, most is because, um, one, I'm already a cis white gay person uh, in Bedford Stuyvesant, which is like a predominantly not white neighborhood. Right. Um, and gentrification is like a very real thing mm-hmm. in Brooklyn. Um, and definitely that neighborhood isn't immune to that. No. Um, and I just think there's something that like uh, just like doesn't sit right with me about uh, having a show in which the least marginalized type of person like has uh, like I, I, there's. I have a show and I'll have some people I can have on a show and I'd rather use my platform to uplift uh, identities that uh, there are so many spaces for. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's kind of like the, 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 do you ever struggle to? No. And that's the thing. Like, I, I, are you about to say struggle to find enough people for a well, show? Yeah. But no, I mean like, cause you've, there, you said I, that you've never had a straight white guy. Have you ever been like, Oh God, I'm, you've never been at, uh, like strapped to find non-straight no well, yeah. uh they're especially i mean i'm lucky that we're you know in new right. york city yeah. um where there's just so right. much talent in general maybe in other places that'd be a little harder to do yeah but uh no i mean That's i great. yeah i mean there, i mean there's plenty of shows where there are 
yeah, there's that's it's not been a problem. Yeah, uh, I guess great. is like the the, the short answer. I guess to it's that. not. I guess I don't mean like you know people in general. Like I know obviously, especially in your neighborhood, there's tons of different yeah, types yeah. of people. But I just mean like people that you know and have worked with and trust. Oh, you, do, um, you don't have to know them. I guess you just know. No, like, yeah, it's, I mean like when I book the shows, it's a combination of like some people like maybe have seen around from other shows yeah. I go to. Like I. Uh, always enjoy like I like I like going to show because I kind of wear again different hats. Yeah. I'm wearing my Griffin, the comedian who is going to learn and enjoy like from watching other people perform. Right. Um, there's me, the human being who's going to laugh at something that you know t- catches me <laughs> off guard and, right. and strikes me as funny or that I've, or makes me think of something I've never thought about before. Right. Um, and then there's Griffin, That's the producer it. or a person who you know is like booking people he likes on shows. So yeah. there's definitely times where I'm seeing shows like oh this person's great and. Uh, it's a mix of, you know, people who I know or sort of know. Um, and I've cold contacted many people to have on the show because I just yeah. think they're good. And I think that they would be a good fit for a lineup I'm curating. Right. Um, sometimes I might start with that person and then kind of curate the lineup based off of that. Right. Um, to just, again, like uh, figure out like what's like the the best blend of like styles and variety and identity and all of that um, to nice. make like a, a really kind of like well-rounded um, show. Because I only have about, uh, it's the show I try to keep to less than an hour and a half. As right, close to an sure. hour as possible. So everyone gets about like 10 minutes? Like, it depends the person. So like maybe the people who are, I, I, I like, especially at the, at the sort of momentum the show has now, I might have maybe like one or two people who are kind of like around my like sort of like level of experience or, sure. or um, so for that's kind of like, I feel like, oh cool, like here's this lineup with like these really cool people on it. And like, here's an opportunity for you to get to shine on a lineup yeah. with these are the people. Um, or maybe it's like friends of mine who I think are hilarious that I want to give more exposure to. Right. Um, that kind of thing. Those people might get close to like five or eight minutes. Um, yeah. And then there's like the people would have headline. Yeah. That's awesome. Um, and that's the living your best life room show. Now, is that, do you like advertise? Like, is it open to the public or? Yeah. And so, and even like, it is your house. So yeah, I don't yeah, feel like no, everyone no, it's been like, it's been like a tricky like thing like to navigate. Cause um, when I was kicking off the fall season, mm-hmm. um, that was my first time dabbling and using um, like Eventbrite and, Facebook right. ads and Instagram ads. Mm-hmm. And for that, it was a show not in my living room, but I was, uh, we quickly realized how effective that is for getting the word out. Right. Even with like a, if, if you, especially on Instagram, a like very strategic targeted ad campaign in mm-hmm. the New York area can really uh, yeah, like help sure. get like the word out for a show. Um, and so I was like, I want to try this out for my living room show, but I don't want to make my address. Like if I'm like, right. like cause we also saw like once you, put something out, especially on Facebook. Yeah. Uh, the we, Russians get it. And then, <laughs> well, we had like, uh, who knows if they were a real person or like, a you know, bot slash troll or whatever, but like definitely had a couple people like comment on, or like one person in particular comment on something about our ad. Uh, Cause like in the ad for the show we did the summer, it was a, the writing team was all, was uh, me and four women. So there was like, mm-hmm. it was like a, again, like something was like, Oh, like this is a staff of like, all like queer and female writers mm-hmm. and uh, d- which is like a great way to kind of like, you know, help find like who your target audience might be for something. Right. And someone saw the ad and was like, took issue with that basically. So after that, huh. I was like, Oh, if I'm going to be promoting my own show in my own home, I need to like figure out how I want to like to navigate the whole like address thing. Yeah. Um, which is basically just like the address isn't public. And there's other um, kind of like private space yeah. shows that happen or like, or like secret show things right, right. that um, essentially just like RSVP and then, um, down the road, people get the address to the thing like gotcha. separately, but it's not like broadcast. Um, nice. Yeah. And the show itself is free to pull to fully like pull the um, like yeah. I guess that like, curtain back on. Like essentially, it's a 
free show, but it's donations based. So then, okay. uh, and, and even especially with the event, that's helped with like making that more clear to people. Cause mm-hmm. I don't want to be like, it's a free show. Then have people get in my home be like, yeah, yeah. gotcha, pay up. Um, <laughs> well, right. but, mean, uh, know. it's, uh, when people sign up on the event, bright, it is very clear on the button. They hit saying like free RSVP parentheses, uh, like $5 donation suggested at show kind of thing. I, I kind of do like a, a raised Catholic. I do like sort of like plate pass oh, sure. type of thing. It works. Uh, but the plate also has like my Venmo handle on it. So if you don't have cash right. on you, not everyone does nowadays. They can also Venmo that no way. No excuse. Um, yeah. And also it's a way to be like, you can't. Yeah. yeah you like, can't be like, oh, I don't like have any cash you, on me. Yeah. You, and but that's good. That's and I kind of say like, yeah, like, like, you know, five, $10 would be like a great suggested donation, but like, you know, pay whatever you feel right. comfortable or what you feel is representative of the experience you've had of this, of the quality of the show you've just sat and experienced and enjoyed. Um, and it also comes from a place of like, uh, that wasn't always the case with this living room show that again, like that's been like a fun project that's been, you know, evolving over, right. over the past two plus years now. Right. Um, but the living your best life room show, uh, started becoming a thing where I was like, okay, I have this platform to have diverse people in the show. I have a, a show where it can be available to people, you know, with not being super expensive, but also I want to uh, help comedians get paid for their work. Sure. Uh, especially in New York, we perform all the time for free. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's something that's kind of messed up, like during these like dark times, yeah. I've been like, oh, like we are helping people out to some extent. Yeah. Uh, And we're, you know, we're, we're being talented. Like there's, you know, we're, we're doing an art form, a performance art for people, for their entertainment for free all the time. And um, it's, so for me, it's like, you know, again, like I'm the venue and the producer, I have full control of this. How is there a way that I can pay people to be fantastic and talented and, and and give up their time and talents and, and, you know, make, make the hike over to my place to, to do their thing. Um, so yeah, I, I um, pull together like all the donations and stuff, the audience, and then um, awesome. like show them out to the comedians, which is something I take a lot of pride in. Well, yeah, I mean, I think yeah, I, I think it's it's hard for independent comedians to feel comfortable asking things of people. Yeah, but you're also providing something. But listen, we so we always with all of our guests, we do a game show portion of the show. Oh boy, okay, so, yeah, I'm, I'm into it. I totally, love game shows. Totally yeah. a curveball. But um, so we're gonna take a very like. 30 second break and then we'll be back. You're listening to The Next Best Thing on Radio Free Brooklyn. My guest tonight is Griffin Leeds, comedy writer, performer, uh, editor, and co-founder of Off Magazine. That's AWF. And we will be right back in 30 seconds. All right. Did you know that Radio Free Brooklyn has a free iPhone and Android app? No. That's right. You no longer need to be chained to your computer to listen. Just download the Radio Free Brooklyn app from the App Store or Google Play so you can listen to independent community radio wherever you go. No. You can find the iPhone app by going to RadioFreeBrooklyn.org slash iPhone. And the Android app is available at RadioFreeBrooklyn.org slash Android. So download the app today and listen to RFB wherever you are. Okay, so we're going to wrap things up tonight by playing our favorite game ever, which is Name That Movie. So I'll play a clip. From what I consider to be a classic comedy film. Oh, I'll either be really good at this or <laughs> You'll insanely be great. bad. Well, that's that's <laughs> the thing. And when I say classic, I mean classic as in great. Okay. <laughs> Whatever that I means. guess I'll find out so soon. Yeah, you'll find out so soon. <laughs> um, and it's funny either way. There is a grand prize. There's five questions. Here's the uh, rub. So you'll hear the scene. It'll go right into your timer. You'll have about 30 seconds per scene mm-hmm. you name the movie 
And if you can name the actor as well, that'll be bonus. All right, so Got let's it. just dive right in. Here we go. Here's scene number one. Hello? Ah! Layla, get back in your cell. Don't make me get the hose. Hello? Hello? I am Job. Do you speak English? I am Job. I'm sorry, the position has been filled. Oh, what a nightmare. Go ahead. Okay, this one I do know, and it is um, Robin Williams as Mrs. Doubtfire. Oh my God. And Sally Field as well, of course. Are you sure? As Miranda Hillard. You've said Mrs. Doubtfire starring Robin Williams and Sally Field. Is that your final answer? I'm locking that in. Are you sure about that? I could, there are fewer (laughs) things I could be less sure about, but more, yeah, I I feel good about it. Yeah, yeah. Hell yeah! Nice. Very good. Okay. Impressive. Clip numero Dose. It's in the crate. Where is it? It's in the crate. I didn't have it out to begin with. It's not in here. It's not in here. It should be in the crate. It's not in the crate. I just told you that. God damn it! If she doesn't get a door, she's gonna flip out. Damn it! You left it at the hotel. You go back and you get her busy me. Go to the hotel and get busy me. Run! Run! Mommy's getting your toy. Don't you worry. No, we just had a little. We had a little discussion. Look at me. Look at me. Don't look at anybody else. Don't look at the fat ass losers or freaks. You look at me. Uh, based on your face, I'm not sure you're as confident this time. So this is this is what I mean when I say like, to be good or bad. I have great oral memory, so if I've heard <laughs> of it or seen it, I'll right. know it. But if I haven't, okay. then I'll be. Would so you like nice. a clazoo? I will take a clazoo because I have a couple things I can maybe narrow it down that I haven't seen. I can maybe say this. So let's see. It's kind of an improv-based movie. Right. And it's starring a troupe that's in m- multiple movies by this director. And it involves dogs. Can't say anymore. And it involves dogs. Uh-oh, uh-oh, time's running out. Shit. Uh, no idea? Maybe, I mean, we Take said a dogs, that's such, it's not Air Bud. <laughs> <laughs> or National Air, Lampoon. Air or... Bud's a great movie. But unfortunately... Garbage! Uh, it's Best in Show. Oh, With okay. Christopher Guest, that was Parker Posey and some dude. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. Um, have you seen it? No. Okay, all right. Why, yeah, if I, if, we'll know if I've seen it because my I do have good oral memory. Okay, yeah. But if Next I one is a real classic. All right. Oh, and it's kind of fitting for the season. Clip number th- 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 three. One minute. I'm on the 14th hole at Wingfoot. A heart attack later... I'm a worm feast. No, 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 no. You're not a worm feast. You're a hallucination brought on by alcohol, Russian vodka poisoned by Chernobyl. Silence! Ouch. Ooh. I was a captain of industry. Feared by men, adored by women. Ah, adored. Let's be honest, Lou. You paid for the women. I'm warning you, Frank. Don't waste your life as I did mine. Okay, now wait. I said it's fitting for the season. Yeah. So that should help, maybe. Did you recognize any the voice? What any of the voice? I, it's, it's some of those voices like I. They felt familiar, obviously. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, I'll definitely take a clazoo. Okay. For sure. Um, well, 
if one of the actors, his other famous movies are what about Bob? Okay. Caddyshack. Yeah, yeah. So it's Bill Murray is the okay. actor, and seasonal. What's a seasonal? Not a Christmas Carol, but that's okay. So you probably haven't seen it then. Ready? Oh, yeah. Scrooged. Where oh. you? Oh, you gotta see Scrooge. It's okay. so good. I was thinking Thanksgiving, oh, shit. but also I would not have remembered Scrooge. Thanks. Yeah, my favorite Thanksgiving movie. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. All right, number four. This one you'll get. Huh? I shouldn't say that. I, yeah, I don't should not. Sorry, lower that's that bar. Totally not what you're saying. Okay, number four. <laughs> number four. Driving along, and all of a sudden the kids are yelling from the back seat. I gotta go to the bathroom, Daddy. Not now, damn it. Truck tire. I can't stop. Help! There's a cliff. In comes a meat wagon. And the medic gets out and says, "Oh my God!" New guy's in the corner puking his guts out. All because you want to save a couple extra pennies. And <laughs> to me, it doesn't get out. Now. Uh, okay, Actor. so was that Chris Farley? Mm-hmm. Cool. So that's... That helps. Yeah. Uh, if it's like a classic classic, which I haven't seen this well, classic, if it is, Tommy well, Boy. Nice. But it's one I know I need to see. You've never seen it? I know. And like, I've... It's I know, amazing. I've, yeah. It You've is never, amazing. Tommy Boy... <laughs> It's like it's like one of those ones yeah. like I really well that's really impressive. Though. So you're now two for four, which is pretty good, and you've gotten actors, so you have some bonus. Yeah, I've gotten t- uh, for the ones I got, I did get right. Oh yeah, so but I, I get bonus points. Get, I could kind of give you Bill Murray. Oh, oh you're no, saying, I'm not saying. Oh, okay. I'm not giving myself Bill Murray. Yeah. Uh, I did get. Here's me getting competitive. Uh, no, that's good. So I got Robin Williams and Sally Field. Um, yeah, that's true. As well as Mrs. Doubtfire, Whatever. and then Tommy Boy and Chris Farley. You're, it's in the bag. It's in the bag. <laughs> okay, number five. Ready? Oh, now this one I, I, might be hard. Okay. Okay, you're doing great. <laughs> you're doing great. Last one. Here we go. Armand, did you see what he just did? Hello, Valley, darling. What did he do? He blew a bubble with his gum while I was singing. He can't do that while I'm singing! Celsius, look, this may be a drag show, but it still has to be a good drag show. If possible, a great drag show. Yes, and just because you're 22 and hung doesn't mean you're... Let me do this, Albert. Fine, you're the director. Thank you. This is a complex number full of mythic themes. I don't think I get it. Try more gum. Albert. I hear you. Thank you, I know you do. Okay, so this is you know it. That's Robin Williams. That's Nathan Lane. <laughs> you know it. You love it. It's Birdcage. Are you sure? Yeah, I, I watched you... this movie once a long time ago, like maybe a decade ago, mm-hmm. and I need to watch it again. It's so good. Their voices are pretty distinctive. Nathan Lane, especially. So Robin Williams too. Like, yeah, those are probably two of the most distinct voices. You're in going comedy. with that for sure. Final answer. Yeah, still not Gred, Gred, uh, uh, Gilbert Gottfried. I'll tell you that. Oh, no. <laughs> impressive. Okay, I'm impressive. So you got when I know it, I know it. Yeah, when you know, and when you I know do it. not, I do not. So you, you got to watch Scrooge because yeah. that's a great Christmas, starring Carol Kane, Bill Murray, Carol Kane, <laughs> and other Although, great people. But here's the thing: if you're gonna watch Scrooge, don't you think in terms of like tropes and like. I feel like uh, Groundhog Day is like a. Is that a Christmas movie though? No, no, I no, no. It's a, it's a Groundhog yeah. Day movie. Um, oh, but I'm saying. 
I've never seen it. Can but, you believe but that? Inter- Groundhog Day? I know. Oh, see that? I can't believe I'm admitting that. Yeah, actually, uh, listeners, I think we can all agree uh, that phones should be ringing off the hook. He's not allowed to give me a hard time for not knowing Scrooge. <laughs> no, you haven't Tommy seen Groundhog Boy. Day? Tommy Boy was the one that you have to see. Yeah, fair. Especially since you mentioned so, Chris Farley earlier. Yeah, Tom... Tom... Foolery. Tom, Tom, yeah. <laughs> yeah, Tom... His, yeah. Uh, Tom... Uh, Tom Tommy Boy, wow, that's right. <laughs> I, I'm having an out of body experience right now. No, yeah. um, Tommy Boy is one I definitely need to see. Yeah, uh, big man, little jacket. Big man, a little coat. Yeah, little coat. <laughs> yeah. Richard, well, listen, that was impressive. So my guest tonight has been Griffin Leeds. We're gonna get cut off in three minutes, but before we do, make sure so tell them to check out Off Magazine, AWF, uh, AWF Mag yeah. Mag Off Mag dot com. Nice. Also Off Mag on Instagram, Twitter. Nice. Um, my yeah, social yeah, media sure. is just Griffin Leeds. It's my name. Uh, it's at Griffin Leeds for Twitter, Instagram, Venmo, um, yeah. all the important Most social media. <laughs> um, uh, and um, and that's the Living Your Best Life Room Show. Yes. Check that. Is there like a Facebook page for that? It's um or it's it's, it's through like my so I have like, gotcha. like I have like a Facebook page for Griffin Leeds. Okay. Um, cool. That's where that kind of lives. It makes it easier to kind of have like the. Yeah, for yeah, promotional for sure. purposes or what have you. And then same, that's how I promote it on my personal Instagram. And next well. time you come on, we can, I don't know about you, Griffin, but I am a huge fan of true crime. And so next time you come on, we can talk about the curious case of Lauren Spear. And it's not something oh, to joke about, yeah. but it is a very uh, intriguing yeah, case. Yeah, we definitely have like uh, talked about that before. Yeah. You've heard my my yeah. like theories. It was very and- enlightening, actually. And it was they, they uh, took your lead on ABC uh, 2020. They did. You oh, should see that. They had like the same like uh, like theory or whatever. Yeah, yeah you should check, check that, that out. out. But anyway, we're going to be cut off in 30 seconds. So I'll just say thank you for coming in. It was thank great to see me. you. Yeah, thank you so much. Um, of course. And hopefully you'll come back, become a regular friend of the show. Uh, for everybody out there, you've been listening to The Next Was Thing on Radio Free Brooklyn. As I say at the end of every show, and I mean it more and more each week, apathy is the enemy more than really anything else. At least know what's going on. Never give up. Never give in. Never stop caring and never stop making it known that you care. It is good to care. God damn it.